0: What you're actually getting paid for is the value you provide to solve a problem for the company or the person that's paying you. And that value can be significantly greater than what you might consider to
1: be your hourly rate. How do you grow and scale your business while avoiding entrepreneur poverty? Hi, I'm Buzz and I've spent over 20 years marketing for entrepreneurs just like you. I've learned there's no one secret to success, but a series of strategies to help business owners scale at will. On this podcast, we uncover invaluable insights that successful entrepreneurs and industry experts use to profitably scale businesses. Welcome to You Are Buzzworthy. Did you start your business after a successful career doing something you were passionate about only to be bombarded with all of the things that get in the way of doing just that? What you love. It's a common plateau even for us that didn't have a career in what we now offer in our business. Plateaus plague all of us at various stages in our entrepreneurial careers and can hold us back from our true potential. So let's dive in today and discuss how to overcome these hurdles and stay in love with our entrepreneur lifestyle. Joining me today to help uncover the secrets of doing just that is David Schreiner-Khan, community builder, founder of the Smashing the Plateaus community, and the host of the Smashing the Plateaus podcast. David empowers high-achieving professionals to build their consulting or coaching businesses following a late career job exit. So they can do more of what they love and get paid what they're worth. So welcome to the show, David. Thank you, Buzz. Great to be here. Great to have you here. I think we just need to dive right in and discuss the many... We, We know that there are many stages that plateaus can occur in owning a business. So I would love for you to start with what are the plateaus that are facing those transitioning from a career to entrepreneurship?
0: Honestly, Buzz, I think plateaus occur in all aspects of business and life. They often occur when you don't see them coming or they're unexpected. You know, for example, earlier in my career, I was trained as an engineer. I worked as a chemical engineer for the first four years of my career. And I will admit that I was probably in a plateau fairly early on. It didn't really light my fire the way one would hope that one's career would do. And I actually, you know, I was doing pretty well in the field. I was well paid. I had good jobs. And for me, getting out of that first plateau was the trigger of a month after I got a great performance review and a big raise, my boss called me into his office and he says, David, I have good news and and bad news. The good news is you're doing a good job. The bad news is you don't have a job here anymore. And... right? Unfortunately, these kinds of situations are way too common, but Mm -hmm. I was young. I was naive. I wasn't really paying attention to the business side of the company that was paying my salary. And I was not paying attention to the fact that they had lost a lot of contracts. Mm. And so they ended up firing a big chunk of the staff. So, you know, I had to find something else that would pay the bills and it was a wake up call for me. And I realized, you know, I am kind of at a plateau in this career and maybe I don't want to be a corporate employee for the next 30, 40 years and I started looking at ways to do something else and I ended up going into the nonprofit sector and spent more than two decades in management and leadership roles which were much more suitable to who I was as a person and they really did in terms of it was something that I was passionate about doing and it felt much better. Now, another plateau towards the end of my run as an employee in the nonprofit sector where I was in the same job for a long time and I couldn't go any higher in terms of the hierarchy in that job. So if I wanted to advance in my career, the most likely next step would be to go to another organization in either a higher role or a bigger organization in the same role. Mm. And I actually had kind of reflected on being fired earlier in my career and wanted, I had always wanted more control, and I saw entrepreneurship as that potential path. It took me a long time, because I didn't grow up in an entrepreneurial family, it took me a long time to kind of realize how I might be able to pull this off, and I thought, you know, the easiest way is become a nonprofit management consultant. That's the field I know, that's what I'm good at. I'll that's just do common. it, right, do it on my own terms instead right. of doing it for one employer. Right. So actually, so that was the transition that I made. And and the thing that I learned is I'm I'm good at what I do. I can solve these problems for multiple organizations at the same time Mm -hmm. and have multiple sources of revenue. So things, so that diversifies the revenue stream, which actually I think reduces your risk compared to being an employee where your revenue is all coming from one source. Mm -hmm. What I didn't know is That there's more to marketing and sales than just saying this is what I do and 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 hoping that you're going to get business. Um (laughs) right. So I was lucky in the beginning, you know, I would tell people I knew this is what I'm doing, and I was getting leads, and I actually was doing pretty well in the first couple of years. Mm -hmm. Um, the next plateau for me happened a few years into the recession that really triggered, uh, that, that kicked, kicked in at around 2008. So around 2010, 2011, I found that even though I was getting leads, I wasn't converting at the same rate mm. as I had been previously and organizations were tightening their belts. And so there was, you know, they were much more reluctant to spend money on consultants. So I had to figure out ways to start to bring in new business that would be new and different. And of course, anytime, that you're trying to grow and stretch yourself, you're stepping into the an uncomfort zone. Mm. Um, right, so you know, I would try differently. But the good news is, at the same time, I started doing some business networking, started picking up some private business clients. Um, right. Again, this sort of happens simultaneously with, with the business plateau. My client base started shifting. And I also started looking at ways to create different offerings that might be more appealing to The kinds of markets that I was beginning to serve, right? Again, there's a few different examples of plateaus and how
1: I got out of them. So what I'm hearing is that we had these these career plateaus that were basically pushing you out of the employee door, really. If you look at it over a matter of twenty years, right? You're like, hey, listen, this is you. You kept hitting these plateaus. And I remember, even for me, me getting out of the career plateaus really early. I was a fast burner at starting as a teenager. I was in management positions. And because I, I was so young and didn't have a college degree, which at the time, you couldn't get into management without a college degree, a bachelor's degree. And I was like, I didn't want to sit at a job as a supervisor for four plus years, you know, working day and night to do school. I watched my dad do that. You know, for my entire childhood, bachelor's, master's, and and his PhD, right? I didn't want to do that. So I was like, ah, I, I actually ended up going to the Air Force just to get out of California at the time. So I'm hearing all of these plateaus that we all have experienced as employees. But then as you're transitioning, you're talking a couple of different plateaus that I'm hearing you say is one is sales plateaus. Like you just became stagnant you didn't realize how much work that was going to be. So it created this limiting factor for how much you could grow your business. But then even when you were able to break through that, there were external forces coming in and creating a different plateau and you pivoted, which is a great way of getting around plateaus, right? Pivoting and stuff like that. So beyond sales, what are some other stages in the business lifestyle that you see plateaus occur?
0: Um, One of them is internal, which is self-limiting beliefs. And Mm -hmm. especially for consultants and coaches, that's a tough one. And I see it right out of the gate. Like when somebody leaves corporate, if you Mm -hmm. go from a mid to high level position where you have a full calendar and overflowing inbox this built in social structure, there's a team of people to take care of all the things you're not responsible for. And you go out on your own and you stay in the same discipline. So you're good at what you do, but you start off with an empty calendar, empty inbox, no social structure. There's no team to do anything but yourself. And you have to get up and market and sell something you've never sold before, which is yourself. And that self-limiting belief of, can I really do this? Can I convince somebody else to pay me for something that I used to do in a job? Mm -hmm. Can I convince multiple people to invest money in my services? And as a consultant, your pricing structure is very different than as an employee. Right, right. As an employee, right. As (laughs) an employee, you you eat what you kill, (laughs) pretty much. But the other thing is, for the same kind of work, if you just look at trading dollars for hours, which is not a model I recommend, no. But it's right. It's the way consultants and coaches often think about their value when they first start out. If you just look at your hourly rate as an employee, first of all, you're getting paid for input, Mm -hmm. and as a consultant or coach you cannot bill 40 hours a week. You're running mm-hmm. a business, and you need to spend time on administration, marketing, sales. If you have a team, you need to spend time managing your team. So you're not going to be billing out 40 hours a week. If you're doing right. really well, you're, you may be billing out 20 to 30 hours a week. So just thinking about hourly value, your hourly value needs to be significantly higher than whatever rate you were paid as employee, just you know, just to, to run start the with. right. So that's one piece of, of the self-limiting belief. The other piece is what you're actually getting paid for is the value you provide to solve a problem for the company or the person that's paying you. Mm. And that value can be significantly greater than what you might consider to be your hourly rate. You know, right. so for example, you know, let's say you're a marketing strategist and you're offering some marketing strategy solution for a company that's, that's struggling with um, maybe a, a new offering or a, a new marketplace. And you're able to help that company position themselves so that they're able to get $5 million in new business in a year. Yeah. Right, and it only took you, let's say 20 hours to perform that work. Right. If you compute whatever your hourly rate is, you're probably gonna charge them I, i'm gonna say i don't know let, you know let's let, let's Just say, say you 150
1: char- bucks right now
0: right but let's say you charge them ten thousand dollars for the project or 20 000, oh, for the whole project yes. right for mm-hmm. the whole project and you're helping them make five million dollars that 10 or twenty thousand dollars is a pittance mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. now the 20, five million dollars is not profit it's 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 top of the you know top line mm-hmm. Um, on, on the P&L, mm-hmm. but still, your value to this client is way greater than your hourly rate. Yeah, uh-huh. 100%. Right? And consultants and coaches often don't think that way. And you need to be able to convince yourself of your value first before you can go out and sell it to somebody else. So what I'm
1: hearing is that this plateau you're talking about is more of the imposter syndrome, right? And almost everybody that I've ever talked to that's been in business for themselves has gone through this phase. Of imposter syndrome. And I sat in it for 15 years, not thinking that I was good enough. I don't know if it was my Catholic guilt or what what it was, but I never thought, well, you know, that I was of as much value as my competitors who were charging two to three times as much as me. And I was, I created limiting beliefs in that small businesses couldn't or wouldn't afford the investment that we brought to the table. And so I think that's really important that you brought that up. And I think it's it's valuable for us to put that label on there so that people can read about imposter syndrome. Because it is a plague that rattles and limits so many small businesses in the United States. And so getting past that is literally doing what you just talked about, which is looking at the impact you bring to your clients. So when you do say, hey, listen, instead of $10,000, this is a $50,000 project. I have a client who is a fractional CFO. And that's when we started working together. He was thinking, "Eh, I'm going to charge like $1,500 a month to help them get their books in line. We turn around and we're like, wait a second, you're dealing with companies who are doing at least $10 million a year. And the first thing you're going to do is save them at least $50,000 right off the top. And you're like, wait a second. So maybe we need to up the ante here because if you charge too little, they might not take you seriously, right? Correct. Right? Correct. And so getting over that plateau is understanding that, hey, listen, what are you actually bringing to the table? And so this client, he's now charging $50,000 to get to sign up with him. And that covers the first three months. He's got a guarantee that in the first 90 days, he'll pay for himself just in that, in that 90 days for that 50 grand. And then he charges $5,000 a month. His clients love him, would never think of not paying him $5,000, right? And so that's a huge leap, right? Because he was going to work for $30,000 per client a year and blood, sweat, and tears when you're talking about CFO because it's a lot of work. Now he's making $90,000, three times as much just by getting past that to belief. How can we like overall avoid plateaus regardless of where we're at in our entrepreneur careers? I don't think we're going
0: to avoid them they often will smack us in the face when we least expect them. <laughs> I think what we need to talk about is, okay, they're going to happen. Whether we anticipate them or we don't anticipate them, they're going to happen. How do we deal with them when they do happen? Right. And I think what's most important, particularly as an entrepreneur, and if you're running your own business, you're the CEO of your business. I don't care what size it is. If it's a one-person shop or it's many, many people, you're still the CEO. Mm-hmm. And... It's a very lonely job. There are things that people that are close to you are not going to want to talk to you about or not going to want to hear, Mm. particularly when it comes to things like self-limiting beliefs, your fears, all the what-ifs that go through your head all the time. So what's most important is that you surround yourself with other people that are dealing with the same kinds of issues so that you can support one another, help one another deal with these things. And the best way to do it is to, um, when you're with like-minded people, make sure that you create an environment where there is a safe space, where you're comfortable sharing where you're challenged and where the people that you're with also feel comfortable sharing where where they're challenged. And then sharing experiences that may be relevant to what you're hearing other people have faced can be very powerful.
1: So like masterminds are a good place for that, where you get together with the people who maybe have businesses that are much like your own. And so they're going through a lot of the same challenges as far as that goes. You have a community, right? Smashing the Plateau. I'll put that in the show notes. so You guys can check out uh, smashingtheplateau.com. All of these take time, energy, and money to get into. But they are a huge return on investment as far as I'm concerned. I feel that loneliness you were talking about. I feel I kept myself in that silo for way too long early in my entrepreneurial career. Probably the first 10 years. And it wasn't until I got out of that and said, Hey, listen, like you can ask people for help. It's okay. The CEO needs the entire team and then another entire team outside of the business to really make them the best they can be right? So what are some of the first steps before we dive into these other investments? Internally, what are some of the first steps we can do to overcome plateaus that our listeners could apply this week in their business?
0: When, when you hit a plateau, don't beat yourself up. They happen. So first thing is recognize it. Second is Identify where you can connect with like-minded people, whether it's in a formal structured community like we have in the Smashing the Plateau community, or if it's just a buddy who is in a similar kind of role, create some kind of structure or join a structure where you're going to get some support.
1: Hey, if you haven't already, subscribe to the You Are Buzzworthy podcast so you can get the latest shows as they drop every Tuesday and Thursday. And we'd also love to hear your feedback, so leave a review when you get a chance. And until next time, stay buzzworthy.